Welcome to the public morality. Last year, the New York Times developed the 1619 Project. Named for the year African slaves arrived to America, the 1619 Project is a bold attempt to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of African Americans at the very center of the national story. But the award-winning project is not without controversy. It made several claims, particularly in the initial essay, that could not be sustained, including, quote, one central reason the colonists declared their independence from Britain was because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery, unquote. The Times issued a correction to the essay by Nicole Hannah-Jones, the project's creator, shortly after it was published. Those in opposition to the 1619 Project quickly seized on this and other inaccuracies to debunk the project's efficacy. The 1619 Project has developed curriculum that's being used in certain school districts across the country. I'm joined today by Professor Gordon Wood. Professor Wood is Emeritus Professor at Brown University and is author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning book, the Radicalism of the American Revolution, and one of the five historians that wrote an open letter to the Times addressing the factual errors of the 1619 Project. Professor Gordon Wood, welcome to The Public Morality. Thank you for having me. Sure. Um, you, you were critical last year of the 1619 Project for certain factual errors. It's been more than a year since the project was unveiled. Do you still have those concerns, sir? Well, I understand now that the uh, 1619 project has changed its uh, its uh, claims. Uh, although I haven't seen the website, I've, I'm reading what other people say, and so the claims that were published in the uh, in the New York Times magazine aren't quite the same now. Although the Times itself has not publicly admitted that, uh, and and so I, I think this it's a different thing now from what it was when it came out in, in August of, of, uh, of 2019. Hmm. Uh, it, it seems, uh, from my perspective, the crux, the crux of the tension um, is a collective inability to have any kind of judicious conversation on the issue of slavery. How do you see that? Well, I think historians have been working on slavery, uh, particularly in the last 60 years, both white and black historians, and slavery has become a major uh, issue. It always was uh, a major issue, of course. We fought a civil war over slavery. So no one uh, should be minimizing the importance of slavery in our history. Uh, But I think uh, in in the case of the the Times Project, uh, Hannah Jones, the journalist, went went too far. And I, I understand she has, with drawn some of her, her earlier comments, although the, the written document is still there, and I have a copy of it, and I've kept a copy of that, but I, I think the website apparently has changed it somewhat. Mm. And of course, the, the project that the Times has to go out into the schools was, I think, what made this truly alarming to, to many of us, because this was going to be, their, their errors were going to be perpetuated in, in the school system of of the country. And so that was, I think, uh, that was a little bit disturbing. Well, well, that leads me to my next question, because uh, you you had mentioned uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the the project's creator, and and she has stated forthrightly that she's not an historian, but she's a journalist. Um, 
But the 1619 project is, is slightly more than a 750-word op-ed. And as a historian, how do you view the project? Is it journalism? Is it history or some unique combination of both? Well, I have no idea of how the project is being worked out uh, in the schools. I, I, I'm not privy to any of that kind of information. All I have and all I've ever read are the documents that appeared on the in the magazine in August of of 2019. And reading those were those were outrageous claims and false claims. I think the claim or the desire of the project to to make slavery uh, more central to our uh, to our history is, is a good one. I have no objection to that. And in fact, I sympathize with that. But to have that project founded on falsehoods, I thought was a mistake, and and would in the ulti- ultimately hurt the the project. Uh, I'm just surprised that the Times went so far as to 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 do what they did. In fact, they ignored. Um, Professor Harris, and Northwestern historian, was was uh, was supposed to be a facts checker, and she warned them that they were making a mistake, and they went ahead without without just ignoring her her uh, her information. So I'm not sure what happened with the Times on this, and it's unfortunate because the New York Times is a great institution and has great responsibility and and great influence, and I think that this. Um, this project to to bring it to the schools is 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 important, but if if it's based on falsehoods, then I think it's a terrible thing, and and of course quite alarming. And for for the record, uh, Professor Harris uh, did write it and a piece of her own uh, for Political Magazine, stating uh, some of the factual areas that you just commented on that that, that her concerns were ignored. Uh, yeah. Yes. The Washington Post reported last year that the Texas State Board of Education uh, decided to make slavery a quote-unquote side issue, placing more emphasis on sexualism and states' rights as the primary cause for the Civil War. And I can see how those in the 1619 Project offering their work as a counter-narrative, would they be wrong? Well, I, yeah. What's wrong is to emphasize that the Civil War was was just a matter of states' rights. I mean, it was, it was states' rights, but it was was states' rights because they wanted to protect slavery. Uh, and, and no one, and Lincoln knew that, and he said that in 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 his uh, second inaugural that that everyone knows that slavery was at the heart of, of the Civil War. And I don't think, among any reputable historian today, that would be doubted. So that. That any effort to try to hide that is is a mistake, but that wasn't the problem with the 1619 project. It was the falsehoods, particularly claiming that the revolution was fought uh, to protect slavery. It's exactly the opposite. Uh, actually, the the first anti-slave movement in the history of the world occurred in North America with the independence of of the states. Uh, they launched the first anti-slave movement uh, ever uh, in, in the history of the world. So I, I think they got the whole thing backwards, and it was a terrible mistake. And that's what uh, mm-hmm. that's what appalled some of us, and, and I think led to the... The Times has softened all that now, because they realized they went too far. But I have no idea what's going out into the schools 
Uh, if it's just to say that slavery was important in our history, then of course there's no objection to that. Uh, and I would spy, I would uh, I would I would uh, be sympathetic with that. No, I, I guess I guess um, and where and part of part of my question, so Genesis, my question is that you do have some school districts. I think you and I could agree that if you're offering slavery as a side issue to the Civil War and you're teaching, say, uh, school children in Texas, that narrative that's that's equally false, and that's been sort of granted an air of legitimacy, and and that is just as bad, is it not? Oh yes, of course. Uh, because we you know we're a huge country and there's a lot and, and education for the most part is very locally based so a lot of things have been going on in uh, throughout our whole history in in school districts uh and of course that that's always been a problem uh trying to nationalize anything in our country is difficult because of the diversity of the country it's really a very big and diverse and and rowdy country uh, trying to control it in any way is difficult, as we're finding out with this uh, uh, crisis. So, uh, I, but uh, there are all kinds of mistakes going on in school districts. I have no doubt of that. But I didn't think it was the New York Times' uh, responsibility to correct that with making their own major mistakes. That that had carried much more weight than some small district in in Texas. Uh, having the Times, which is a national institution of of great uh, reputation, strength, to 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 put forward false falsehoods, uh, is is much more serious. It seems to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I'm also wondering just how um, I, you just said it's the difficulty in nationalizing history. I mean, nationalizing anything. Uh, let alone history, but if the, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the Civil War right now, and I want to get your thoughts on this. If the Civil War is indeed America's greatest crisis, you know, 155 years after its conclusion, the reasons for its origin remain up for debate. When there's a plethora of historical evidence, from the Articles of Secession themselves to Alexander Stevens' cornerstone speech, the primary reason Southern states seceded was the preservation of, of slavery. So how, how do we account for this sort of dichotomy on what would be arguably the greatest crisis in American history? Well, I think, I, I, as far as I know, there are no uh, his, major historians who doubt that slavery. Now, there may be pockets of, of, of backwardness in the country. There's all kinds of crazy ideas that fly around the country. But the, the, we're talking about the dominant uh, the dominant level of historians, and there's no doubt about that. As far as I know, I don't think anybody uh, who who has uh, any kind of reputation at all doubts that slavery was the major source of the, of the Civil War. Um, but of course, there are many people in the country who have all kinds of crazy ideas about things. But that isn't what we're talking about. We're really talking about what is going on at the elite level, if you will. Uh, and the Times is put forward something that was, at least my expertise lies with the revolution, was a, a falsehood. And, and I think they've tended to, to, to pull that back now without ever admitting it, um, without any public apology. In fact, uh, the, I think they owed an apology to the five historians, the five of us who wrote, uh, but we've never heard anything from uh, 
uh, Jake Silverstein, and, and who is the uh, who's the editor of the New York Times Magazine, where the project was first published. Uh, that's what we're talking. We're not uh, talking about all kinds of crazy notions that take place in in maybe in local school districts. Um, we're talking about what the Times did, and I, that I think was what the issue was about. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to some of your expertise and get some of your thoughts uh, around that revolutionary period, if I could. Um, sure. In the unedited version of the Declaration of Independence, it offered an indictment uh, on, of King George and the slave trade that was ultimately taken out. Right. Jefferson would later write that the removal of that passage was led by a coalition of southern planters and northern merchants involved in the transatlantic slave trade. So my question to you, sir, based on your history, from 1776 to 1865, were we not witnessing... America attempting through compromises and even judicial decisions, Dred Scott, an attempt to reconcile itself with the institution of slavery? No, I don't think so. I think what we had there was a, a document that was went too far. Jefferson was saying that King George was responsible for the slave, for slavery in America, and there are some people that realized that that was not true. Uh, it was not George the the third. And, and Jefferson's comment in his autobiography was that the Deep South didn't want to make any statements along that line. And, and he said that some of the northern states real, or colonies realized that, uh, or states realized that they too had been carriers, that is, carriers of the slave in the slave trade. But the important point to, to keep in mind is in 1776, upon independence, the northern states launched anti slave existed all over the uh, all over the country in all of the colonies in fact slavery had existed for centuries without substantial criticism nobody criticized slavery they took it for granted everywhere from ancient rome and greece right up to right up to the 18th century it's the american revolution that made slavery a problem the American Revolution created the first anti-slave movement in the history of the world, and it was a successful movement in so far in the northern states. Uh, even Virginia for a while, and Virginia was, of course, the largest state in the Union and by far the most important state, even it, with 40% of its population enslaved, attempted to do something about slavery, but it didn't. But slavery was an integral part of the reforms that the states undertook almost immediately in 1776, along with new public education, uh, uh, revising their, uh, their inheritance laws, disestablishing the Church of England, the codification of the common law, and the abolition of slavery. Uh, and, and in the northern states, by 1804, all of the states had abolished slavery. And slavery had existed in many of the northern states, not, not to the same extent, of course, as, as existed in the South. Slavery was about 40% of the Virginia population, 60% of South Carolina's population. But in the northern states, it was 14% of the population of New York City was enslaved. 8% of my own state of Rhode Island was enslaved. So it was not a major uh, force but it, it did exist, and, and uh, 
anti-slave movement was successful. It was the first, the first anti-slave convention in the history of the world was held in Philadelphia in 1775. The same year, of course, that the, the, the uh, Americans were meeting to consider, the Continental Congress was meeting in Philadelphia to consider uh, independence. So the two are linked together. Independence and anti-slavery grew up together. Uh, and that point has to be emphasized because it, it, it's so important to our history, even though it took the next 75, 80 years, 90 years before, and we had to have a civil war to finally abolish it, that that moment was started with the revolution, that, that impetus to end this uh, institution uh, began with the American Revolution. And Lincoln knew that and said that. And that's why he says all honor to Jefferson. Uh, even though Jefferson was a slaveholder, Jefferson did set forth the notion that all men are created equal. And Lincoln used that so effectively in mobilizing the North in the Civil War. In the 18th century uh, and in the 19th century, um, liberty, as we know it today, was, was indeed a novel concept. And so I'm wondering, because of the radical nature uh, of the Declaration of Independence and joining liberty and equality as a, as a stated precept, fairly or unfairly, did it create higher expectations for America? Yes, I, I suppose that's true. Americans had set forth these ideals uh, and, and the fact that they were republics. Uh, I mean, we realized that the, the Western world was was dominated by monarchy, and as late as 1848, uh, there were, you know, the 1848 revolutions in Europe were all attempts to overthrow monarchy and create republics. They all failed. All those revolutions failed. So when Lincoln says, "We are the last best hope," he's talking in the context of the failure of republicanism or democracy that had taken place in the rest of the Western world. So we were alone. We were the only republic, or a major republic, uh, in the world. And, and so he, he that, 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 I think, is the, is the context for understanding the Civil War and why Lincoln felt uh, it's so important that the United States uh, fight the South. I, I mean, the interesting question about the Civil War is, is not why the South revolted or, or, or sought independence. It's why did the North care? Why didn't, why, why didn't the North just let them go? Lincoln knew that the United States stood, stood for something, and he was able to articulate that, that sense of, of, the, of the meaning of America to, to, to mobilize the, the Northern people for, for four bloody years of warfare where we lost more people in that war, both North and South, of course, than we lost in all our other wars put together. So uh, it's, our history is a, is a, is a bloody history, uh, and, and slavery was, was the issue that, that divided the country and, and led to the Civil War. I don't think there's any doubt of that, and I can't imagine anyone really doubting it. <laughs> If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Professor Gordon Wood, uh, Professor Meredith of Brown University. We're talking about the, the 1619 Project, as, as, as well as some thoughts on America's origin. Uh, Professor Wood, you know, too often 
there is a there there's an attempt, in my view at least, um, in the public discourse to make to make history binary. You know, for for example, um, I'll, I'll throw out the term um, white male landowners. That term is often thrown out, but usually is not accompanied by the number of white males that were also disenfranchised in addition to all women, all people of color. So I'm wondering, sir, how as a historian do you see this binary process in the, in, in the public discourse void of that requisite nuance? Is, is that part of our struggle? Well, I haven't seen that. I mean, among, uh, among sophisticated historians, that, that we just don't divide things quite that easily. Uh, certainly... Uh, I mean, if you're talking about American society on the eve of the Civil War, uh, probably half the society, and I'm talking about whites as, as well as black, half the society was unfree, um, were servants, uh, bonded servants, and servitude was prevalent. Now, servitude is not slavery. It's not hereditary and it's not lifetime, but, but you, are, you are unfree. Uh, and people served for five, seven years. Uh, and they could not marry, they could not travel, they could not own property, they could not vote. This is about half the population. I'm not including, of course, the women and the slaves, uh, of course, are not not voting at all, but, but there are large numbers of white uh, people who don't vote either. So uh, it's a very different world, of course. The 18th century is, is, is still a, a, a cruel and brutal age, and, and a lot of... Uh, Cruelty takes place, savagery, and of course we know that uh, on the frontier in particular. Civilization was, in, in some sense, modern civilization was clinging on, was just trying to grow uh, in, 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 in the states uh, so that you have a good deal of brutality everywhere, which I think uh, we would find appalling. And we know some of this, of course, from, from the Indian wars that took place. People were committing uh, near genocidal killing of the Indians. And of course, the Indians were retaliating with their own uh, vicious fighting. So it's a very, very different world from our own and, and hard, to, hard to, uh, to get back to because it's so, so different from our own. Now, now three years uh, after the declaration was ratified, you had uh, a coalition of slaves uh, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, other places, but in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, that submitted a petition for their freedom, crafting a document that used language that bore some striking similarities in tone to the declaration. And, and, and while that particular uh, effort uh, went nowhere, does it speak to how one might view historical events may depend greatly on where they stand, so it's possible to have multiple accounts of the same event based on an individual's lens, and, and can that be reconciled? Well, I, I'm not sure I followed your, your question, well, but um, well, there, 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 the nation did not really exist. Uh, the national government was so weak. It was uh, uh, The Article of Confederation existed for 10 years, uh, we're sort of like the EU. The really important places are the states. The states are independent, virtually independent. They all the reforms, all the legislation is taking place at the state level until after the national government is created in 1787. Then you have a then you do have a national government that has uh, responsibility for for national affairs. But but uh, no one ever thought that slavery should be handled by the national government. The slave trade. Uh, 
could be handled by the national government, and of course was was promised uh, in the Constitution in 20 years they would abolish the slave trade, which itself was a major uh, a major act, a major event. But slavery itself had to be dealt with. It's it was thought by by the states uh, that it was a state issue. Uh, although I think many people in the convention uh, in 1787 certainly did want to take steps to the North, certain Northern delegates, many of them tried to propose for the abolition of slavery. But of course, the delegates from South Carolina and, and Georgia threatened to walk out of the convention. Now, the other issue I think is important that's not much mentioned is the feeling that most people had that slavery was on its last legs. Uh, that it was naturally dying away and would die away in time. Now, they couldn't have been more wrong with that. There were more slaves at the end of the revolutionary era than there had been at the beginning. Uh, but they did, they list, this was an illusion they lived with. Now, they live with a lot of illusions. We do with two. We have illusions too about the future. We don't know the future. But they live with this major illusion that slavery was dying away. I can give you uh, countless quotations from people uh, sincerely believing, falsely, of course, but mistakenly, but believe, sincerely believing that slavery was slowly dying away. And therefore, we should not, we were willing to make compromises with it in the national government as they did, because it'll go away anyhow. We don't want to endanger the union uh, by, by pushing for anti-slavery. But I don't find any many of the Northerners, including most of the Virginians, nobody's defending slavery in Virginia. Now, the defense of slavery comes later, of course, in South Carolina. And, and, uh, and you mentioned Stevens, for example, on the eve of the Civil War. Uh, but, but in 1776, in 1787, there's nobody going around talking about slavery being a positive good. Uh, they're all, it's on, they're put on the defensive for the first time. Slaveholders are, are, are put on the defensive for the first time in the history of the world, I would submit. Uh, there are very little criticism of slavery until the middle of the 18th century, and it's the American Revolution that makes it a problem, it puts slavery on, on the defensive. But I, the point I, I tried to make is that it is, it is, they, they live with this illusion that it was going to die naturally anyhow. Uh, and and uh, that, that accounts for their willingness to compromise, uh, many people to compromise in the, in the convention with the three-fifths clause and the fugitive slave uh, clause and so on. You know, I, I, you know, I guess one, one of the uh, areas I want to touch on but is you as a historian. I mean, you and an, uh, an, another historian, you could look at the same facts, the same data. Um, but it is possible, is it not, to reach different conclusions on the impact of, based on that data? Yes, of course, historians differ in their interpretations. It depends on the emphasis uh, you might put. There are lots of facts, and of course you emphasize some facts and, and not others. You're going to have a different, somewhat different interpretation, but you can't have absolute falsehood. See, that, that was what I think uh, Hannah Jones had when she said that the primary, a primary cause of the revolution was the fear that the British were going to abolish slavery, and, and there's just no evidence for that. I mean, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, in, in, six, in 1791, 
the college of a William and Mary, uh, the the trustees, the board of visitors, their slaveholders all, awarded an honorary degree to Granville Sharp. Now, why would they? Who was one of the leading British abolitionists at the time? In fact, the lead, the leading British abolitionist. Now, why would the these slaveholders in in Virginia do that? And that's the kind of interesting question that historians love to to dig into. I wish Hannah Jones had known about that and tried to answer it because it would have, I think, complicated her story. It's a complicated story, the the revolution, and, and uh, lots of people were living with illusions, not knowing the future. Uh, that's the most important thing that, uh, about that historian has to appreciate, that the people back then didn't know what we know. That is, that slavery would grow and become even more powerful in the, uh, in the 19th century. And so I, I, think that, um, I, I think that we need a greater appreciation of the complexity of, of events and, and the way in which the participants uh, muddle along without knowing quite what's going to happen. I think we can appreciate that today. We have no idea, really, how this COVID virus is going to turn out, what the implications are going to be. And people will look back at us and wonder, what were they doing this? Why were they doing that? We don't know the future, and, and neither did the people back then know the future, their future, which, of course, we have the advantage of knowing how it all turned out. At uh, any rate, uh, I think that uh, I, I have no doubt that slavery is an important issue in our, in our history, and, and I, I wouldn't want to uh, minimize the importance of it. But I don't think the uh, historical evidence should be falsified or distorted, because that just hurts the the uh, honest historical investigation. So talk about um, because there's been a couple of of uh, inaccuracies, and, and and I believe the Times has retracted some of them um, that you and the other professors who wrote who wrote the letter uh, were concerned about. Talk in in the context of why pointing out those errors. In, 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 and I think they were largely in Miss um, Jones's essay. Um, why is that so critical to the overall nature of the project? Speak to that, if you would. Well, I, I think, first of all, it has the implication that, that the, the, the implication was that our birthday, 1776, July 4th, 1776, is really not the birthday of the, of the, of the nation. And, and Hannah Jones was in, implying... Uh, that that it should be 1619, August 20th and 1619 should be our birthday. Now, I think that's an, a date that should be pointed out in our history, uh, but I don't think the founding of the nation can be based on that date, uh, nor should it be based on that date. There's nothing better than July 4th, because the, the revolution, and Lincoln made this point, the, the, the revolution... Uh, and, and what it stood for, all men are created equal, is the most inclusive event in our history. That is, when you, that mere statement, all men are created equal, Lincoln said, binds us to the, uh, to the uh, founders they, as if they were flesh of our flesh and, and blood of our blood. And, and he included all the immigrants who came after the revolution. They, they became Americans uh, fully American, equal to all the others, uh, in 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 uh, because of that 
that Declaration of Independence. That's an extraordinary moment. And and no other nation can quite make that because we don't we're not really a nation in the ordinary sense of the term. I mean, nationhood usually means common ancestry, and and the French think of they having a real problem in France with 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 Muslims and people from from Algeria. Some of these Algerians have been there for four or five generations, and yet most Frenchmen don't really think they're French. We don't feel that way about immigrants who have come here three, four, five, five generations ago. We, we're, they're thoroughly American because we have no ethnic base to our nationhood. And so that's what Lincoln was getting at when he, when he wrote about these, this issue in, 17, in, in uh, 1858, 59, 60, and those great, those great uh, 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 lectures he gave in, in the coming up to the Civil War. Uh, so the, the American Revolution made it possible for everybody in the world eventually, if they wanted to, to become an American, if they could, <laughs> we, you know, the fact that they all want to come here, we had 35 million people, most of the country's made up of people who immigrated here. And of course, the blacks have a real claim because they were here before most anyone else. But the, everyone is, is, is entitled to become an American in a way that the other nations of the world, which base their nationhood essentially on common ancestry. They can't, they can't do what we're doing. We know we have problems with immigration, but our problems pale into insignificance compared to the problems the European nations will face over the coming decades with the demographic movements. They're not really equipped to bring in these alien people. We can bring in anyone, and eventually they become Americans. And that is, I think, that was Lincoln's insight, and that's what makes him uh, the most important figure in the 19th century. Well, what, what I'm hearing you say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the American narrative is, is, is and its particularly its origins, are so vast and complex that it's it's almost impossible to pull on one a single thread to define it, even if that thread is as critical as slavery. Would that be accurate? Well, yeah, there is a, our our history is complicated. I mean, you know, the founding until Lincoln came along, the founding was 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 considered to be the 17th century founding. When people talked about the founders in in the 1820s or so, I mean, when for example, when when uh, John Quincy Adams gave a, a speech uh, celebrating the the, the the Plymouth Plantation, the formation of Plymouth, which, by the way, the 400th anniversary is this year of Plymouth and, and the Pilgrims. We've done nothing with it. It no longer matters to us, which is, I think, interesting. Uh, all through our history, especially through the first half of the 19th century, that was, a, that was the primary event in American history. The founding of the country occurred in the 17th century, and the founders, we talked about the founders, they were William Bradford, John Winthrop, William Penn, John Smith, those were the founders. It's Lincoln who made the founders the revolutionaries, uh, and he made the revolution the central point in our history, and made the document, the Declaration of Independence, with its claim that all men are created equal, the central issue in American life and, and uh, made America really uh, possible to, to accept anyone who came here, regardless of their background, regardless of their ethnicity. 
uh, it's possible to be an American. Uh, and I think that's what the, the change occurs in the, in, 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 with Lincoln, that the founders not suddenly become Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, James Madison, etc. Uh, so I, I think it's uh, it, it, slavery is is an important issue because it first of all it precipitates the Civil War and forces Americans to think about what it is to be an American, uh, and, and I think that's what we've been we've been talking about that for the last 150 years, ever since the Civil War. Uh, and we have problems, of course. We've had problems accepting immigrants. Um, but there was lots of tr- trouble in, in, at the, around World War I with, with foreign immigrants, that is, uh, Italians and, and Jews and, and, and uh, Germans. And yet now, those people have been thoroughly assimilated. No one thinks about those Italian-Americans being un-American. But there was a time when they did. But we get over that quickly, much more quickly than the Europeans are able to to accept. Where the Germans are having a very hard time absorbing all those Turks, uh, and and the British really have a hard time with the Pakistanis. Uh, in a way, they, no, no matter how many years they stay there, uh, live there, it, it's going to be a problem. That's not true for us. Now we do have a problem with Black Americans, and that I think. Because they, really, it's only been since the 1950s and 60s with the Civil Rights Movement that blacks have been fully accepted as, as in, in, the, in the civic life. And so that's a relatively short time. And I'm, I'm, my confidence is that time will, take, will, will, will heal that um, because it was a belated acceptance, much too belated, as we all realize. Professor Gordon Wood, sir, I want to thank you uh, for lending your expertise to the public morality today. It's been much, much appreciated. The public morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. Once again, I want to thank Elvin Jenkins and Michael Burns at WJAB in Huntsville, Alabama, for allowing us to broadcast the public morality at their studios. The public morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. In the words of Martin Luther King, we may have come on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. For all of us at the public morality, I'm Byron Williams. Thank you.